the book of Acts, chapter 1 is where we are. Let us run to our God in prayer before we run to our God through his word. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. Again, Lord, I've already offered you my confession this morning. And just freshly hearing from you as I, as I was worshiping you through these songs. Lord, my own mind, my own heart. Lord, I've had my eyes on the storm. I've had my eyes on the gaps, on the tasks, on all those things that are undone every day. Lord, and those things can frustrate me. They can suck your spirit right out of me, the joy right out of me. And let my heart churn on all the impossible things. There's not enough hours in the day. I start to gripe, Lord. I get grumpy. And then you so tenderly, Lord, place your hands on my face and direct my attention to you, to who you are, to your power to your majesty, to your glory, to your love, to your grace. The worries, Lord, the anxieties, the stresses, they just roll right off me as I lay them at your feet. At the same time, Lord, there's many things that need to be accomplished for your namesake every single day. We're asking, Lord, through your spirit that you'd empower, whoa, that you would empower us she would lead us. You are our Savior. You are our God. You are our King. We come here to worship you, to honor you, to serve you, to bring you glory. Lord, with that great hope, with the great expectation, there's coming a day when we will see you face to face. And until that day comes, Lord, I'm asking that you cause me and that you cause all of us to be faithful to you and to your mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And his mission is exactly what we're talking about here in the book of Acts. Using this idea that as we travel through the book of Acts, it's looking at not, not Jesus' life when he became a man. So Luke beginning here in the, the former account in the Gospels, here's what Jesus began to do, his actions, his teaching. Here's what his sacrifice was. Here's how he sacrificed himself on the cross. Here's what his sacrifice was for, which was for the sins of all. His sacrifice is acceptable, demonstrated through the resurrection. We, these are topics that we are going to continually be in as we go through the book of Acts. Last week, we really pressed into the, this, this outline here that Jesus was communicating to them commands, communicating to them orders, discussing with them the kingdom of God. Talked about that last week and then this week. This was all going on before his ascension, giving these, these final commands. And now we're going to turn our attention to Jesus' ascension, what happens after the disciples go away from that event, and just these, these foundational accounts, circumstances in the lives of the disciples. As we sit in, again, just a, when you sit in like vision statements and mission statements, every single church in the world throughout all of history for the last 2,000 years has a singular vision. And that vision is that the kingdom of God is coming. That's the end. The end is that our God will be king forever and ever. 
On this earth, we look in our prayer, he tells us as he instructs us in prayer that we are to look to our God and ask him to bring his kingdom. His kingdom is here and present now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, his kingdom is alive and well and present in your life. He is king. He is sovereign over your mind and your heart and the activities of your life. His kingdom is here. Yet there is a time that we're looking forward in history that he is coming as king. We can sit in that text when Jesus comes back as king in Revelation 19 and so many prophecies in the Old Testament of what's going to occur when Jesus reigns as king in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But ultimately, that vision of his kingdom is that he, our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has made us human beings in his likeness. And there's coming a day when there will be full newness. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. And you and I and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ will be new and one with our God for all eternity. That is the vision of Jesus' church that he is building in this world right now. And in his commands and his direction, he gave them the mission. How do you go about to achieve this vision? And the mission, he's saying, go, travel. As you go, make disciples. Those who respond to the gospel, make them to be my disciples, my followers, those who are learning from me. Teach them. Teach them to observe, to keep, to hold on to my words, my commands, my directions. And at that, at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 28, those last words, Jesus' promise, I will be with you always. Which again gets back into prior conversations that they had with Jesus earlier on. Like he, Jesus was telling them, I am going to the Father. I'm going back to where I came from and you can't come with me yet. And there was confusion there and now he's telling them, I'm leaving, but I am going to be with you always. And as we sit in the text this morning, beginning in Acts 1, verse 9, Jesus has already given them all these final commands. and says, now when he had spoken to them these things, while they watched, he was taken up. He was lifted up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, a lot of this morning, we're going to try and sit in our imagination and sit in the circumstances of this. These men... We're with Jesus for three years. Again, they saw him, they listened to him, they touched him, they ate meals with him, they saw his miracles. They were stretched in their, in their minds and their hearts and their lives. They had all different kind of opinions about who Jesus ought to have been as they're waiting for the Messiah. They're looking to him as the Messiah and he's doing and saying things that they weren't anticipating Jesus tells them that he's going to die. That provided all this confusion, doubt, struggle. We watch Judas turn away and reject Jesus. They've processed through the resurrection. They've had Jesus. Just can you imagine Jesus just physically appearing in this room right now? This happened to them. 
where one moment they're just there having a conversation with another, one another, and in an instant, there is Jesus in their midst, physically, eating with them, talking to them. I can't imagine the emotion of those, of those moments, longing for him to remain, longing for him to fulfill who they know him to be. He is the king who is going to sit on the throne of David forever. Now, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They're sitting in all of these conversations. But Jesus has given them instruction to wait. They're going to receive the promise of the Father. But he is going away. Yet at the same time, I am with you always. And they're standing there in all of those emotions. And they got to watch the Lord be lifted up off of the ground. And taken up into this cloud. The cloud in the Old Testament is always a representation of the glory of God. Watch him being received into the glory that has been his for eternity in the past. The glory that has always been him. They watched him rise up. And they're standing there as a group of men watching this event. Witnessing this event. And all of their emotions. Are they crying? Are they sad? Are they excited? I guarantee you all those mixtures of emotions is going on. And then all of a sudden you have two men clothed in white. Angels, more than likely, these messengers that are shining again, that glory that Jesus was just received up into. Or some suggest that it may be Moses and Elijah there on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Is this Moses and Elijah again standing there? Probably not, more than likely just angels. But again, gives us some question. But they ask... The one, the Jesus who you just saw, who you've spent the last three years with, who you saw die, who you saw rise again from the dead, who has just been speaking to you and commanding you, the same one that was just taken up into that cloud, he is coming back in like manner. We're told, so in... in, uh, In Malachi chapter 3, Jesus, the Messiah, he is going to show up in his temple just quickly. In Revelation, we're told, Revelation 19, when Jesus shows up with all the saints with him, the sword that comes out of his mouth that's going to cut down all of those who were gathered together in war against him, is going to come to Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter... So 14, when it says that he is going to step onto Mount, the Mount of Olives and it's going to divide. His feet are going to come down on the Mount of Olives. The king is going to come. The one that you saw taken up, he is going to come in like manu, manner. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus teaching about his return. It's going to be like lightning as it flashes from the east to the west. So will the coming of man be with great glory. The glory that they just watch him be received up into. He's coming back. And here we watch them be obedient to Jesus' command. Verse 12, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem. They didn't scatter. They went to where they were told to go. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, 
and Judas, the son of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Chris, you probably need to turn off the lights. But I have a few pictures that I want to show just to help get the lay of the land. So, the, you see the tower, the bell tower that's there on the right? Cut off the uh, stage lights, too. The, no, that, yeah, blackout. There we go. Okay, everybody see that tower on the mountain? That's the Mount of Olives. See all the white stone in front of it? Those are all graves. Over here, the wall that's on the left, that's the Temple Mount. So the temple would have been up there, the homes, the, the homes that are down there underneath the wall of the temple mount, that's where the city of David was. I want you to get the lay of this land. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us that they were near Bethany. So Bethany is on the opposite side of the Mount of Olives. So it wasn't as though Jesus went up from the top of the Mount of Olives in the sight of everybody that was down below in, in Jerusalem. This seemed to be a private event with just the 11 apostles. Next picture. This kind of rotates, so you're looking to the south. I just want you to see the lay of the land because it helps understand. This is the Kidron Valley that's there uh, 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 in, the, in the middle of the picture to the top where the other valley comes in. That's the Valley of Hinnom. Um, this is lower than the Temple Mount on the south side there in front of it. Next picture. This is now on top of the Mount of Olives, not as high as that tower. It's down below this, this overlooking platform so that you can see. Again, the valley that's in the front, this is the Kidron Valley. There on the right, you have the Temple Mount. You can see the ruins and the excavations. Down here in the hill, this, this bottom left over there, this is the City of David. So this is the old city of Jerusalem. Um, and the, and again, the excavations that are going on there, there's a, you can see a little domed church right in the middle of the left-hand side, that's St. Peter's church underneath that, that was Caiaphas's house, the high priest's house, that's where Jesus was held in prison as he is being beaten the night that he was arrested. You have Mount Zion that's on the top over there, next picture. This rotates a little bit to the north so that you can see the Temple Mount platform. There's the, the Dome of the Rock moss that's sitting there. And again, you can see a blue dome just barely in the picture. I'm not sure how well you can make it out on the wall. That's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which again, in there is believed to be where the mountain where, of Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. There's a debate whether or not that's, that was the actual place, but that church would have been outside of the walls of Jerusalem at that time. Uh, the tomb that Jesus was laid in, again, if history is correct, probably the tomb um, where our Lord's body was laid. Final picture. This is now looking at that whole scene from the left. So you have the Mount of Olives there on the right. The apostles are with Jesus as they watch him rise up over there. They're taking a journey and coming back. Maybe over this mountain, maybe around the side. We're told that it's roughly a Sabbath day journey, so they're not too far out there. And somewhere in this lower city is this upper room. So go ahead and turn the lights back on. It's helpful just to get an understanding of, of where they are, where, how far they're walking. What does the conversation look like? They just watched their Lord ascend, our Lord ascend into heaven. You know that they're having a conversation as they journey back to Jerusalem. They're sitting in everything that Jesus has done. I guarantee the, uh, the immediate past, all those times that he has appeared to them and given them instruction. 
they come back to this place that says it's this upper room. Now, this is, this is what we have to wrap our minds around in trying to, like, sit in their context. <sighs> They've been following Jesus for three years. That means they haven't worked like a normal job for three years. When he called them away from their fishing job as they're up there in Galilee, Matthew away from his tax collecting table, they've been following Jesus as their rabbi, the one who they believe to be the Messiah for the last three years. This has to be financed. This has to be supported. Even after Jesus has resurrected from the dead and they're having these conversations, the assumption is, is that as they're in Jerusalem, this is like their home base. They traveled up to Galilee. They saw Jesus in Galilee. They've come back to Jerusalem. They just watched Jesus ascend, and now here they are back in this upper room, more than likely the same place where they had the Passover meal. Now, we're going to be told in the next couple of verses that there's about 120 people that are gathered together. How are they eating? Just, I mean, think about daily life. They're not working. They're praying together. They're reading the Word of God together. They're having conversations Meals still need to be prepared. People need to sleep in these places. This is early summer. It's hot. There's no deodorant. How are these people bathing? Are they all sleeping in the same room? There's men together. There's women together. This is husbands, wives, children. About 120 souls that are together. And they're together. What does it say? That they're, in, that they're together in one accord. They're unanimously together in this. They're unanimously obeying the command of Christ to remain together. And again, as they're remaining together, what are they choosing to do? They're choosing to have conversations with God. They're praising him. They're thanking him. Supplication, they're asking him, Father, are you going to send the promise today? Are you going to clothe us with power today? How are we going to go to the ends of the world? How, Jesus, you were here physically for the last three years. They just killed you. How are we going to proclaim this message? All the different questions that they have. How are they going to continue to be supported and have this finance? As we travel through the book of Acts, the Jerusalem church is going to find themselves in great need because they're in great persecution later on. Where the churches in Greece are going to send funds to help alleviate their poverty. The funds wear out. What are their anxieties? What are their worries? I've told you, I've just been, you know, just convicted this morning, just having my eyes and my attention on on the gaps and all the the impossibleness of achieving what God has directed us to do. It's impossible apart from him. It's impossible apart from the truth of his word, through the inspiration of his spirit, through the energizing of his spirit for the Lord to prepare whoever hearts that you're going to interact with as you share the gospel, as you disciple others, as you teach others. This thing that he has called us to do as his followers, it's absolutely impossible apart from him. Yet, I find myself taking his command and still trying to do these things apart from him. His disciples were smarter than me. I'm still learning, but he always reminds me, he always brings me back. Here, this idea in verse 14 that they, are, that they continued, it's this idea that they were obstinately devoted 
to what they were doing. They were obstinately devoted to being in one accord. They were obstinately devoted to prayer and supplication. They were obstinately devoted to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promise that they know is coming from the one that they just watched ascend into heaven. Like I said earlier, just beginning this, I really want you to see just the, the, like this is a real life activity. This isn't just some happy little prayer meeting that they're having as they gather together. These are different people from different backgrounds. Remember the disciples are sitting there arguing about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom not long before this. How are those tensions still working themselves out in their relationships with one another? One person I'm sure is offering this suggestion, hey, maybe this is what we should be doing today. And somebody's, I don't know I'm going to do that. You know, there's going to be all that tension, all that conflict. As they're all unanimously seeking the Lord together, there had to be love for one another, patience for one another, waiting on the Lord together. This, uh, the, this isn't easy what is going on here. And the lack of ease also comes up with, here we have, there's, again, we said the disciples are there. There's women that are there. Women in the Greek, it can be wives. So the assumption is that some of the disciples are married. We know from church history that Peter was married. So the wives are going to be there. Children are going to be there. We're told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Which I always find it fascinating that Jesus tells John the apostle to take care of Mary and not the boys that are remaining, the brothers of his that were remaining. But there at the end, his brothers are there. His brothers were not believers in him as the Messiah until after the resurrection. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to his brother James. Can't imagine what that conversation looked like. The tenderness that's there, the light bulbs that are going on in James' eyes. What kind of words came out of the disciples' mouths in regards to Jesus' family as they talked about Jesus' family when Jesus wasn't around? And James, he's such a dirtbag. He doesn't even believe his brother's the Messiah. Where is he? He's not with us. I mean, again, can you imagine? And now all of a sudden, the guy that they've probably been railing against for the past few years is now in their midst, in this upper room, in unity and in love and forgiveness, eyes and attention on the mission that Jesus has called them to do. Verse 15, read through the rest of the chapter here. It says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120 and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field from the wages with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us, 
All the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. I named this morning's message Heart Knower, this idea there in verse 24 where it says that the Lord knows the heart of all. Literal translation is our Lord, our God. He is the heart knower. So even in the, as he called the disciples before he even called them, as he prayed about who the 12 would be, knowing that one of them was a devil, our Lord has known their hearts. He's known exactly how to interact with them while he was with them. He knows exactly what they're thinking about, what they're processing through. He knows what their prayers are. Our God is the heart knower. He knows our hearts. And this is what they're sitting in. They're sitting in the rebellion, the blasphemy, the betrayal, the transgression of Judas. Judas was their friend. Judas was their companion. He was their co-laborer. As Jesus said that one of them is going to betray them, betray him on the night of the Passover, everybody didn't immediately look to Judas. They looked to themselves. Is it me? Can I be guilty of that? But we're not told that everybody knew that it was Judas. And even as he rose up from the table and as he left from the table after Jesus watched his feet, knowing his heart, we're told that they thought he was going out to give, give some, some money or some food to the poor, that he was going out to minister, not that he was going out to betray. But they've been sitting in this betrayal for 40 days. Sitting in, again, all different kinds of thoughts. And as they've gathered together, as they're being obedient to the Lord, as they're pursuing the Lord in prayer, as they're asking him questions, they're also sitting in the word of God. But they're sitting in the attention that they have, that there's a gap in their midst. Jesus chose 12 and he chose 12 for a reason. We're told in the book of Revelation that when God recreates the new Jerusalem, that there's 12 foundation stones. On those 12 foundation stones are the names of the 12 apostles. On the 12 pearly gates that go around the, the new Jerusalem, three on each side are the names of the 12 uh, uh, patriarchs of the Old Testament, the 12 children of Israel. We're told that God's throne is surrounded by 24 elders in the book of Revelation. We believe that it's the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Jesus created these men. He called these men. He appointed these men. He commissioned these men. And knowing the heart of one of these men 
was a betrayal, was a betrayer, was going to betray him. And now as the disciples, they're sitting in prayer. Peter stands up in their midst. This gap that we have in our midst needs to be filled. Now there's stones that are thrown at Peter in this because this is before the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. This is before the day of Pentecost. So there's a question. Did, did Peter get the cart before the horse? Did he get out ahead of God? Or was God's choice really Paul? I'm not going to sit in that argument this morning. I used to have an opinion. And it's, of course it's Paul. We don't know anything about this Matthias guy. Um, so because we don't know anything about him, he just passed off in the history. God didn't want him. God chose Paul later. So Paul's going to be on the foundation stone of heaven. I don't have that opinion anymore because I choose to uh, admit when I don't know, I don't know. Um, the Bible does not tell us. However, at the very end of this, in verse 26, when the lot falls to Matthias, Matthias is numbered with the 11 apostles. From that day forward, in the church community, Matthias was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a witness. Not just he was an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. From the time of John the Baptist's ministry, while John is out there baptizing people for the remission of their sins and water, from that time that Jesus came and was baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he begins to teach in that power, Matthias, Joseph here, others, they were eyewitnesses to those activities. What Jesus was doing, what Jesus was teaching, witness of his death, witnesses of his resurrection. Now, Lord, which of these... Two, we've, we've placed these, we've selected these out from amongst ourselves that they have been faithful. They are faithful witnesses. The, either one of these can be numbered with us. Lord, you choose. You know the hearts. So again, one of the stones that's thrown, well, they only gave God the choice of two. So did God really have a choice of another? Yeah, not going to sit in that because I really think that Peter is being led and instructed by the Lord as he's praying, as he's sitting in the word. The two verses that he, write, that he speaks to those who are gathered together, the first one, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. That is out of Psalm 69. Um, there's a couple of famous, you know, familiar passages in the New Testament that are quoted out of Psalm 69. One of them, you know, zeal, uh, for the Lord's house has eaten me up that when Jesus is flipping over the money changers tables, they remember that passage later on. But this is what Psalm 69 is about and Psalm 109, the other one that he quotes through. They're both Psalms of David. Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm. You can, you can sit in the lyrics of that song. You can hear and see and understand the prophecy just as you travel through it. This is something that as they are gathered together, as they're opening up their scrolls, they're intentionally going to this passage because this passage in David's life, David is crying out to God for salvation from his persecutors. Save me, Lord, is how this psalm begins. Crying out for salvation, crying out for deliverance because of all these persecutors that are coming towards him as Peter is sitting in this text as he is reading what David went through 
He's also looking at it. This is, this is in regards to who Jesus is as the Messiah. And as he runs across this text, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. His mind is going to the one who accused and who betrayed Jesus, which was Judas. In Psalm 109, it's very similar. There's a whole list of um, David in his, in his crying out to the Lord for deliverance from his accusers. He is praying to God to, you know, let their, here it's let, a, you know, the, the sentence that's quoted is let another take his office. But there's all these, let this happen to that person and to those people who are accusing me. Let them not have any descendants. Let them not be blessed. I mean, it goes on down through this list. And again, as Peter is reading through this text. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him in regards to this gap that they have in their midst. Let another take his office. Sitting in this description of Judas, it's this, we'll, get, we'll get back to this in a minute, but just this, this parenthetical statement about Judas and what happened. Matthew 27 gives us the rest of the story that once Jesus was killed, Judas is now filled with guilt. He goes in and tries to return the money. The priest won't take the money because it's payment for murder. They're willing to pay for murder, but not to take the money back. It's weird how we can be blinded to stuff. It says that Judas throws that money into the temple, goes away. He goes into this field. He ties a rope. He hangs himself from a tree. Here in this, in this passage, we're told that he, he falls headlong. He falls head first. So either the rope broke or the branch broke or whenever they cut down his body as it falls to the ground, it falls down headlong and he bursts open. We're told that he transgressed, that he fell, literally that he broke away from, that he left, that he ceased following the Lord. We are told that he went to his own place. Different ideas on that. One of those ideas is that he has his own particular place as the betrayer of Christ in all eternity in hell. That is something that I cannot even imagine. The difficulty in this, as the disciples are sitting in this, as they're praying, as they're understanding, they're looking to the Lord to appoint a man to this position that doesn't have the heart of Judas. And how do you know what's in the heart of another human being? You don't. Sometimes we don't even know what's in our own heart. Lord, you're the knower of my heart. The Lord, even like I said, even this morning, in the conviction that I've been sitting in, and as the Holy Spirit, in the conviction that I'm sitting in, again, he's, he's drawing out of me, and he's drawing me to be attentive to him, not to the circumstances of life. He knows my heart. He knows the thoughts that are in here that don't belong. He knows the thoughts of rebellion that are in here that would turn me away from walking away from him that would turn me away from his grace, that would turn me away from his vision and his mission, that would turn me to attend to myself and to attend to my needs. He knows all of those thoughts that I struggle with concerning myself. He knows the thoughts that I think concerning him. God, where are you? 
He knows the, the wrestlings that I have with him. I don't have his full picture. I don't have his mind. I don't have his understanding. So what do I pray for every day? God, I need your mind. I need your clarity. You know this heart. You know that I'm getting my eyes on the storm. You know the surgery that needs to occur. You know what needs to be rooted out. You know what needs to be pruned. You know the, what needs to be taken away. You know where I'm drifting. You know where I'm confused. You know where I'm weak. You know where I lack. He knows all of these things. And this is, again, as the disciples, as they're gathered together, they're gathered together in unification of prayer. They have the word of God open before them. Peter is standing up in boldness in their midst. These scriptures have to be fulfilled. These scriptures are talking about Judas, they are talking about the one who ended up being the accuser of Jesus, the one who became a leader and a guide to those who arrested Jesus on that night. This man who was filled with Satan, this man's office needs to be occupied by a different kind of man. And that's there in verse 20 where it says, let another take his office. When Jesus says, I'm going to send to you another helper. The word another, it's, the, it's for another of like kind. When I ascend, I'm going to send the promise. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is another of like kind to me. Here, this word in the Greek for another, let another, let another, let a different kind of man be in the office that he occupied. And again, this, this language that's used concerning Judas says that he was a leader to those who arrested Jesus, that he was a leader, he was a guide. It says that he was numbered literally, that he was counted, he was reckoned with us. This is a position that he had obtained. It was a position that was appointed to him. He was called just like the others. He was anointed and gifted. I, it, 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 it boggles my mind that, G, that Judas was empowered to go and to cast out demons, to go and to heal, to go out and proclaim the same message that Jesus was proclaiming. It boggles my mind that he was able to do those same things and he still ended up rebelling. Again, the depravity and the darkness of not just his heart, but the capability of any human heart. But it says that he obtained, he was appointed to a part in this ministry, a part in this service. Literally, it's the lot which was his. As we sit in the commissioning that God has given to us. Every single person who looks to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation has been delivered from sin, has been delivered from death, has entered into a relationship with the God who has created them. This is for all of us. Every single one of us has been called by him, chosen by him, appointed by him. In the body of Christ, we are told that he is the head and that he places us into his body where he desires. As we sit in his body, whether it's our local context here, whether it's the church in Atlanta or in Georgia or in America or throughout the world, we see all the missing parts of the body. 
where there's a gap here and there's a gap there. Sometimes we're waiting in prayer, Lord, who is it that you have to stand in this gap? Who is it that you have called, that you have appointed, that the lot has been cast to them for this work for your glory? The lot, this divine decision by God, was appointed to Judas. What did he do with his lot? What did he do with his appointing? What did he do? Like, think, think of this. How many of you would love to have been chosen by Jesus as a rat? If you were a Jew in this day, I sit in the Gospels like you do. I see Jesus come along the shore of the Galilee. James, John, come follow me. Doesn't your heart respond to that to go and follow we watch him make all these mistakes. We make fun of them because a lot of the mistakes are humorous. We identify with a whole bunch of the mistakes. We watch Jesus be patient with them. Again, John chapter 13 where we have Jesus sitting down as a servant washing the disciples' feet, the imagery that's there, but the knowledge that he watched, washed Judas' feet. Judas already at that point determined in his heart that he's going to betray Jesus for some cash. That's what he chose to do with his calling. And this is where in his grace, in his spirit, I have been called and appointed to do specific things. This, this role that I have here, I believe wholeheartedly that this is something that the Lord has directed me to do, that he has called me to do, that he has appointed me to do. But I struggle with this every single day because I see all my weaknesses, I see all my faults, I see all the gaps, I see all the, we just sang earlier, and this is why I'm being convicted, I'm not enough. I can't do what you've called me to do. But you can do it. And you've promised me that just by having a relationship with you, I am your witness. You've promised me. Nathan read a scripture earlier this morning as we're praying. My burden is easy. My yoke. It's light. I let all these things come rolling upon me. Judas let all these things come rolling upon his mind and his heart. And those things ended up crushing his soul for all eternity. The lot that was given to him. The calling that he had. He rejected it for money. I don't know what kind of elation he received when he first got the cash. I don't know what kind of, like how his endorphins were running in him as he's leading others to where they are in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know what emotion he experienced as he comes up to Jesus with a smile and kisses him on the cheek. Something he felt was positive as he was rejecting the call of God in his life. Something he found affirming in his heart and his mind as he was doing the exact opposite of what God was telling him to do. But that emotion, that elation, 
Whatever he received, it was gone so fast. The guilt came so quickly. The torment of the devil was there, the torment of demons, his own conscience, realizing that he had betrayed innocent blood, not knowing and understanding what they were going to do to Jesus. Self-condemnation, guilt, he goes in and he, he throws in the silver. They're not going to take it back into the treasury. So after this man kills himself, they buy that field in which he killed himself. And it becomes a graveyard. Those, that picture that I showed you earlier of all the graves coming down the, the Mount of Olives. That field is somewhere there. That was purchased with the silver of the betrayal of our Lord. The disciples, as they are gathered together in prayer and they are gathered together in unity, they are looking to Jesus in truth. They know their hearts. They are looking to the heart knower to work on their hearts and to transform their hearts. They are looking to the heart knower to Give them the power so that they can be witnesses. Think about it right there in Jerusalem. In the community that just killed their Lord. Jesus says, I want you to be my witness there. I want you to be witnesses in Samaria. That place, James and John, just a couple months before, Lord, can we call fire down from heaven and kill them? This is where I want you to go and share the truth about my death and my resurrection. How do I go to the ends of the earth? What did the ends of the earth look like for them? There's no internet, there's no planes, there's no cars. Go to the extent of your imagination geographically. This is where Jesus is calling them to go. How? You as the heart knower, you know what's in here. You know how I drift. You know how incapable I am of of walking out your calling in my life. But again, we are given the example of obedience here. We are given the example of prayer. We are given the example of unity in the body. We are given the example of turning our attention to the word. We are given the example of standing up and being bold with how the Lord is directing you in that moment of life. Standing up and saying, this is what God has just spoken. Here in the word of God, this is what it says. So this is what needs to go on in our midst. Lord, you know, answer. Jesus knows every single gap that we have in our congregation. For the, for the children's ministry, for somebody who needs to direct that, for the student ministry, for teachers. He knows what we need to do in regards to reaching out to our community. He knows what we need to do in regards to being discipled here, to, 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 for his ways to be taught, for us to continue to declare, um, to, you know, to worship him. He knows what we are praying about. He is here guiding and directing our prayers. He is familiar with all of our weaknesses. He is familiar with all of our holes. And again, the example that we have in our brothers and sisters in the early church is what they were attentive to as they were seeking to accomplish his mission in their culture and in their time. We are going to watch through the book of Acts the church repeatedly sit in prayer, 
We're going to watch the church repeatedly sit in the word of God. And we're going to watch the Holy Spirit upon them saying, this is the fulfillment of that. We're going to watch the Holy Spirit come upon them and give testimony. We're going to watch miracles be performed. That again, that are, that are lining up with as the gospel goes into these different communities. The truth in regards to his resurrection. And this is what we are to be witnesses of. We are his witnesses. We are witnessing and being attentive to. Um, that he is the one who has made us alive just as he is alive. We can go and we can preach against all the ills and the wickedness and the evils of the culture. But ultimately we are testifying in regards to that our God is alive. Worship team, come on up. This um, final thought, just as we, again, as we're sitting in all of these thoughts. The church attempting to attend to the Lord's will in their circumstance, in their moment. I guarantee that both Joseph and Matthias felt a sense of privilege in regards to the calling that they were even being considered for, that out of this 120 here are these two men that we are putting before you, Lord. You let us know of your decision. The lot falls to Matthias. I have no idea what kind of fear and trepidation he had at that. I don't know if he had pride or um, excitement or timidity. I have no idea in regards to his personality. But what we do know, church history tells us, that by the lot falling to Matthias, that Matthias was killed there in Jerusalem. So the lot that fell to him as a witness of Christ ended up being that lot to fell, that fell to him was to be a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ's sake. He lost his life for the calling that Jesus gave to him. And again, this is the call that Jesus gives to all of us as we follow him. Lose your life. It's no longer you and I who live. It's he who is living in us. Consider your own wants and your own will and your own desires. Place those things at the foot of his cross. Lord, here am I. As we enter back into worship of you, Lord, with our minds and with our mouths and our hearts, here are we. We know our weaknesses, but we don't know our weaknesses like you know them, Lord. You are the heart knower. You know everything that's going on in this room, everything that's going on in our lives. And it is with bold faith that we come to you and say that we trust you. I trust you with my life, Lord. This life is really hard. It's hard to follow you, Jesus. Every step I take in this life, I feel the pressures to turn from following you. But every step I take, I feel your encouragement. I hear your leading. I hear your voice. I see your direction. We're asking for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would fill us, that you would anoint us, that you would give us clarity, that you, the one who knows our minds and our hearts, that you would give to us your mind and your heart, that you would be the one who enables us to fulfill 
the lot that you have cast to us, Lord. May we do for your namesake, according to your grace, Lord, according to your love. May we step out in boldness as your witnesses in all activities of life. God, help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.